mastered economics, cause you took yourself from squalor. Slave. Mastered academics, cause your grace said you were scholar. Slave. Mastered Instagram, cause you can instigate a follow. Shit. Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Get it? Yeah. Look at all these slave masters posing on Hey everybody, welcome to No Small Thing, the podcast dedicated to helping you live a less certain and more curious life. I'm Scott. And I am Macy. Welcome to episode number 104. Which we are titling "Black Lives Matter." Yeah, uh, it's it's it. <sighs> I already feel like it's an episode. It's the type of episode I probably had in mind when we started. Like when we say, "What?" Even just now, when I said "less certain, more curious," I was like, "This is the type of topic I would want people to be less certain and more curious about." Yeah. Which is odd because I also want people to be appropriately confident because <laughs> it's something we should be confident about. But I mean. We'll get. We're about to get into this, but we are gonna get into I it. think. I think for me personally, I'll just speak for myself. This topic has required a lot of less certainty, a lot of less certainty. That's an odd way of saying it. Yes. So, <laughs> like, are you are you saying like as like a white male in America, it's taken a lot of you've had to be very curious to understand Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, you'll you'll hear my journey in a little bit. Yes, my journey we'll prepared me for the moment, so to speak, when Black Lives Matter kind of came on the scene. But the the concept even behind it, like if we're, when we're going to get into talks about like systemic racism and stuff like that, um, that was not taught to me growing up. You know, nobody talked about that. Nobody said that word. Nobody. Every we're going to get into the journey later, but it was a taste. Like people talked like it was solved. That's how it was talked about. We 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 beat racism and look, Martin Luther King. That's how it was talked about everywhere. In white communities. Yeah. In white communities. Absolutely. Good clarification. Yeah. Um so in order to a word we'd probably use a lot for this is dismantling. In order to dismantle a lot of that, it requires and continues to require a lot of curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. And less certainty. So we yeah. invite you to Here be curious with you all. Um if I feel like we should say for the record, it's like in the middle of June. It's the start of June. Oh, June. June. That's happening. So this episode is kind of coming at the height of the protesting and rioting and the kind of the nation and global recognition of police brutality, recognition of systemic racism. And it's it's a very big week. A national moment, mm-hmm. an international moment. I mean, it's the thing we have to keep saying is like, this isn't a new reality. It's always been there and we continue to be reminded of it. And again, part of the journey is like something happens. Like one of the things that keeps getting referenced again, and I was probably 12 or 13 when this happened, is the Rodney King beating. And that woke people up, quotes, their riots, and then mm-hmm. people sort of forget and I think that's one of the things you and I are trying to talk about a little bit is like hoping that becoming more awake this time isn't a fad. Mm-hmm. Like for some reason, it just feels more serious. I, I don't even want to use the word serious. It feels more, it feels more, um, what's the word I'd want to use? Like it feels like the whole country is more in sync on this one this time around. You know? It, it does in a way, and I, I wonder, I'm like, I wonder if this is because my feeds, I mostly follow and feature people who would be of a similar line of thinking for me, mm-hmm. but I, it is, it does feel to me, it's like everybody right now is paying attention and everybody is saying something. The um, protests seem more coordinated. The protests seem more, 
like relentless, like more protests, more protests, not just this one off. It's like continuing to protest. And you see the pictures from every city of like Portland and New York and Chicago and everywhere. It's like the Burnside Bridge in Portland was completely filled. It's like I I haven't seen that. I mean, again, it's like I, I think I'm right. I don't think it, I don't think it's been this relentless. Relentless is the word that's coming to mind. I was listening to a podcast today. I think it was a Vox podcast, and someone was talking about how COVID is like one factor of this is that like black and brown folks are disproportionately being affected by COVID because they have less mm-hmm. resources mm-hmm. and often in their communities and less access to healthcare. And so already, black and brown folks' lives are being more disproportionately dying because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And so on top of that, with these extremely horrendous murders of black people, it's like kind of created this even bigger storm because of the COVID situation playing a factor in it, which I thought that was interesting and felt really true. Mm -hmm. Um, So, okay, y'all, we're already already getting into it, but dancing around here. I think that, I think one we have we want to say a few things as we get into this conversation. Disclaimers, disclaimers, and just preparations. Um, setting the table. So Scott and I are white, mm-hmm. and we're two white folks having a conversation about Black Lives Matter, um, which feels kind of awkward and interesting. And yet, we also I think both recognize that the people who are speaking to are probably mostly primarily white. That is our audience. I think it's demographic for the most part. No, I mean based on what I. And just the perceive fact that, about like, our Instagram we, followers, we are two white folks, yeah, and we cannot escape that. That's our reality, and I think that's partially why our audience is primarily white. So, we're here having this conversation because, in a lot of ways, being white and speaking to white people is a part of our role in being anti-racist, and we have this strange platform of a podcast. And this very strange. And so it felt like this is something that was necessary to do. And I also think our approach of being curious mm-hmm. can be maybe helpful for people who are sifting through all of this wherever you are mm-hmm. um, in recognizing or thinking around Black Lives Matter and thinking around systemic racism, thinking about racism in America. I think that we hope that we can invite you into our conversation and that can encourage you to have more conversations. Uh, we're both kind of nervous about it. Like we've, we've thought through this a lot and in a lot of ways there's like, this is scary to do to have these mics and have our words be sent out. And I'm scared. I'm going to hurt folks along the way. Um, I know I'll probably be wrong and I'll be corrected by black and brown folks for being wrong, but we want to do it anyways. Hmm. So, that's that's why we're here, and we hope that you stick through this and that you're willing to listen to it because it'll be hopefully good. Two friends having conversations, and Scott and I have different approaches. Different so, approaches, but that's good. Right, and that's kind of what we want to celebrate is that mm-hmm. we can have different approaches and have different experiences and come and talk about it, and it might be a little scary, and we might feel wrong, and we might feel uncomfortable. We are going to feel uncomfortable. I kind of do right now, but it's like... <laughs> Do it anyway. Do it anyway. It's it's important that we feel uncomfortable. It's um, it's better to, I think what we're learning, and you're probably going to read something in a second, to say something rather than nothing. But I think it's also important just to, off the bat, if you're just, if you're listening, which if you are listening, you're listening. 
<laughs> such a funny thing to say. <laughs> if you're listening, um, I want I want to make it clear that we support Black Lives Matter. If if yes. you if you're all of a sudden thinking, are they going to be curious about Black Lives Matter and pick it apart and wonder about it? It's like, no, no, we're not. We're not. That's not what the flavor of this episode is. We are f- firmly in support of Black Lives Matter, and we're going to mostly talk about like maybe how we can be even more supportive, exactly, and get curious about that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, so. Just if anybody's yeah. wondering, if anybody's like, I don't want to hear about like discussing the validity of Black Lives Matter and getting curious about that. That's not what this that, is. That's not what that <laughs> Do you want to read your little thing? Yeah. So this comes from the book White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. I haven't actually read this book, but I've <sighs> been in book discussions, book clubs where we talk about this book. But oh, I yeah. White Fragility. I love book. this book. <laughs> <laughs> it's like really classic me energy. But um, mm. uh, so I've 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 heard a lot of it and it's it's a good book and I have it right here in front of me. Oh you have you read it? Read it several times. <laughs> I, I read it and then I had to reread it. And this will be part of my journey when I got super triggered by this house. This house? This Our house. house. Yeah. <laughs> Our I house. literally had to go back Was and read it. Was it a year it. ago talking about pride? Yep. yep. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, do you have some straight fragility? But, oh, I don't. I don't think that's what it was about that night. But fragility in general was happening, yeah. whatever that means. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna read this. It's a small quote, but I, <laughs> I was thinking about that term the other day, and I was like, "That's that's real. good." That's I'm real, writing that real. book. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, this this kind of addresses something that I think both Scott and I I felt worried about. This I'll only speak for myself, but I think you would agree of being like. Why are two white people talking about Black Lives Matters? Is this centering their own voices? It's not our place. It's not our place. But kind of talking about why maybe this is the place where we could and should use our voices. This is our platform. So here we go. Uh, In speaking as a white person to a primarily white audience, I am yet again centering white people and the white voice. I have not found a way around this dilemma. For as an insider, I can speak to the white experience in ways that may be harder to deny. So, though I'm centering the white, the white voice, I am also using my insider status to challenge racism. To not use my position this way is to uphold racism, and that is unacceptable. It is a both and that I must live with. I would never suggest that mine is the only voice that should be heard, only that it is one of the many pieces needed to solve the overall puzzle. Yeah, I mean, there's a Christian concept that I like called right paradox. So they call it like ortho paradox. Mm -hmm. And that seems to have that flavor to it. Like sometimes truth is in paradox. Mm -hmm. So it's true. Like it's problematic, but it's also needed. Yeah. And we're just going to have to straddle that and go from there. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> and and I think we say this in terms of the conversation. Like this is a conversational podcast, so mm-hmm. it's not like it's not like one of those highly produced podcasts. And if you listen, you know that it's not <laughs> like it's not like we have we're going to toggle back and forth between experts and stuff like that. We're just going to sit here and talk. So I do like to think that what you're hearing is like a coffee shop conversation between Macy and me. We sat down. We're like, let's let's talk about Black Lives Matter today. We should talk about that. Mm-hmm. And and we just start talking. And we're going to be careful and cautious about it and, and intentional. We're not going to, like, be flippant. Yeah. But it is still a conversation. Right. That's what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. So we hope you stick along for the journey. The journey. Speaking of journeys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to do an outline? That was a great segue to the outline. <laughs> okay. So here's the outline of what the episode's going to be. Um, 
like typical no small thing fashion, we're going to do quote unquote journeys first. So Scott and I will each take a moment to share kind of our own story growing up in America and how we, I don't know what the best way to say this is, but like our own coming to of realizing that's worse. It's worse than we were told. <laughs> a lot worse yeah. than we were told, exactly. And that there's a lot of work to be done in that mm-hmm. like, racism is still incredibly pervasive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll be talking about that and some reflections. And hopefully the, us, by doing this, we can help you get in touch with your own and that it is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. that's our hopes in that. And then after that, we'll come back and we'll just be kind of a little bit, again, no small thing fashion popping off of what's happening now. Yeah. So talking a bit about um, the responses that people have had. Scott, you want to share a little bit about you into a protest, kind of sharing your experiences. I would love to even just discuss a little bit about like social media mm-hmm. and the, uh, what's happening now. And then we would like to kind of talk about defunding the police. We got to keep these journeys short. uh, Police unions. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, we'll keep our journeys short. And then... I already thought, like, we're not going to have that much material for this episode. I'm already like, yeah, "Uh, there's too much to talk about. Yeah, so we'll be talking about all kinds of things. We're going to be talking about white fragility Mm -hmm. and just, just... We'll do our best. But I also, I said this before the episode, and I'm, I'm honestly bummed that we haven't done an episode like this. It's, a, it's very privileged of us to have not done an episode yeah. like this yet because we've been nervous to do it. And of course, now in the midst of this, we're doing it. It's, it's complicated that that's happening. I'm mm-hmm. frustrated that we haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but we here we are. And I kind of feel like we should be committed to continue to have these kinds of episodes Absolutely. Um, more. And so that's something I guess I'll just say. Um, and then at the end, we'll come back and we're going to give you guys resources at the end of what you can do next. And that'll be hopefully tangible. And that's it, y'all. So thank you for being with us. When we come back, I'm going to share my journey. I'm approaching this. Here's here I am, everybody. Scott, um, my journey. I'm a, and I'm trying to approach this as a conversation. So I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna see what happens, okay. you know. And I have an idea of what I'm about to say, but maybe maybe also Macy's gonna ask me a question that I don't I didn't prepare for, you know. <laughs> so um, I want to say for me personally, in terms of like my social location, um. I, 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 I am a Christian. And so like, that's such a hard, that's such a not hard. Um, it's such a important element of my story. Um, because 
Christianity in America, especially in terms of this like subset that we would call like white evangelicalism. That's what I grew up in. Mm-hmm. I grew up in white evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Hardcore. We just visited mm-hmm. your church. Yeah, yeah. My grandpa was the first international director of Young Life. So Young Life is a big evangelical yeah, organization. Yeah, big time. Yeah, that um, I have complicated feelings about. What's you know? that thing called? What? <laughs> the big Christian mafia group. Oh, oh, the fellowship. The fellowship. Yeah, there's a Netflix documentary called The Family. It's about the fellowship, and watch that, and you'll get pretty creeped out. <laughs> and I was watching it, thinking, like, yeah, this is my pedigree, so to speak. Um. So yeah, I grew up very white. Grew up very Christian. And uh, grew up feeling very privileged, and I said this word to you guys last night. And it felt re- real, very princely. I felt I felt like a little prince. Mm-hmm. You know, my grandpa was in my world, sort of like Christian royalty, mm-hmm. and my dad in my own little world was sort of Christian royalty, which made me Christian royalty. You're a little prince yeah. of this church, running around. And then I married somebody else that was also pr- Christian royalty. Like we had, yeah, I always say this: true. we had like 1,200 people at our wedding. Yeah, it felt so weird, and it felt like a royal wedding. And sounds terrifying. Yeah, it was for me. I was <laughs> I was completely out of my element. Um, so make I gotta make this a little quicker. But like, yeah, I grew up thinking. I grew up thinking we had racism figured out, and that we didn't live in a racist society anymore. And I would hear stories of racism in the past. I'm like, well, so glad that doesn't exist anymore. And it's 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 not that I was doing any research and there was no internet. It was that everybody in my life was telling me aggressively that that doesn't exist anymore. And isn't mm. it cool that we've solved this? I mean, that's the memories I have growing up. I would be like, oh, grandma, like, I can't believe there used to be racists, <laughs> you know? And, yeah, yeah. and she'd be like, yeah, isn't that crazy to think that there were racists? And and that and, and then we can get into the concept of a racist later. Um because I think that's what people think these days. It's like an insult. It's like, no, 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 we solved that. And definitely not me, you know. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I feel like in terms of my journey, I'm not saying this in the way that I think a lot of people try to say it these days. I'm just saying it as a way to acknowledge just reality. Yeah. Like my best friends growing up were all black. And so it's like, I think... Uh, I'm not saying that. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm not saying that. And that gives me a right to speak on this. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm just saying like... Along the way, it's I along the way, I think as I've learned, those relationships have potentially made it a little easier for me to be empathetic. I'm I'm just wondering out loud. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have my friends in mind. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um so Well in Kent, you grew up in Kent, which yeah. Kent isn't like a white city. Yeah, it's you, not that you white. You had your bubble of your white evangelical church, yeah. but my neighborhood, your neighborhood, was is not white. Quite diverse. Yeah, yeah, and and then I'll just say, like in terms of my journey, honestly, because of those friends, I just got turned on to rap music. <laughs> like uh, since I was like ten, I was listening to rap music, and it's been interesting to look back as an adult and understand more. Yeah, like I remember, I remember up being on the ski bus with my friend Eric. And he's playing NWA for me, and we're playing F the police. I'm not going to say the word right now, but um, even though we are fine well, to swear on this podcast. Yeah, our last episode. <laughs> I know. <was> literally. <laughs> um, and I was like, I don't really understand what they're saying, but this is really interesting. Mm-hmm. I remember just thinking that. I remember being on the bus and being like, 
whoa, you know, wow, like what an idea, you know, and, but I was listening to that music, you know, Um, and I think it's been interesting to look back in retrospect and be like, to a certain extent, these, these rappers were telling me all along and then maybe laid some seeds, like to listen to Wu-Tang Clan Mm -hmm. when you're like 14 and 15 and then to go back and be like, oh, that's what they were saying. That was saying. I hardly understood. I hardly understood. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's such an interesting thing. Like one of the lines from uh, Cream, it's a song from Wu-Tang Clan, is uh, Inspector Deck says, um, I'm alive on arrival. He's a 22, year, 22 long hard years and still suffering. Hmm. That's what he says. I'm like, yeah, yeah, 22. I'm like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah. And I just think it's a cool, he's cool and the song's cool and. Yeah, which that's its own fascinating, interesting relationship yeah, that yeah. like a white person listening to rap music totally. about black culture and like singing along and probably emotionally resonating mm-hmm. and feeling along musically, but experientially it's like you're putting on another person's shoes almost. Totally. And we can't get too caught up yep, in this because yep. now I can get really caught up. But I do remember in my senior like Lauren Hill, who's from the Fugees, came out with like some hot takes on like white people shouldn't be listening to our music is not for white people. And I definitely had yeah. a privileged response to that. Like, well, we're paying you and you're having oh, a career because yeah. of that. And I remember all of us white people were like, Oh, what, what do you mean? Like who, who does she think she is? You know, and it's she's like, Lauren I know, fucking she's Hill. Hill. Lauren Hill. That's who she is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so I'll just fast forward now. Went to college, also a private Christian college. So that's a little privilege there too. And, um, just a, <laughs> just a little, it's just a smidge of privilege. Okay, graduated with a theology degree, started working in a church. Bam, and here's where I will fast track my journey. Okay. First thing I'm handed when I get to Bethany Presbyterian Church, where I worked as a youth pastor for 13 years, is you're going to Mississippi to meet John Perkins to talk about racial reconciliation. That's already planned. You're doing it. Um, and I was like, whoa, don't John know who John Perkins is. And this is this is where you start to get into sort of like conspiracy toward territory. So I already went to SPU, which I guess now does have a John Perkins Center. Does. Does. No, it does. I'm saying I'm kind of back in time. Okay. You know, like I'm thinking, I don't think it did by the time I graduated or is just starting. No, I don't think so. Yeah. So, so now all of a sudden I'm, I'm just starting to get a little bit of a taste of like, I just, I just got a theology degree and I don't think I read very many black theologians i read i remember reading like a hispanic theologian but mostly it's white and mostly i was ready to read only white theologians and those are the only most important ones and i don't mean that but that's the mindset of the time yeah. um and the only reason i'm saying this is because i'm trying to help people get in touch with their own uh i'm trying to be really honest yeah. about my own cluelessness you know um i think it's good we yeah can. Okay, so Macy and I also interviewed John Perkins. Go back and listen to that episode. Really fascinating. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah. funny interview. But interesting and a big moment for the both of us. <laughs> you know? um, so yeah, so so now I'm thinking I this this phrase racial reconciliation had never been put in my head. I'd never thought about like the necessity of needing to take kids to the South to talk about race. I was like, what is this? And I remember seeing these pamphlets and it's like, you're you're doing this. It's already planned. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, okay. So we did it. And I remember, I mean, just this last week, we had this guy, um, Tally Harrison, on at our youth group that Macy and I essentially co host. <laughs> co host, another. Whole team of folks. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, and 
he was part of our preparation process, and he was the first person that introduced the term white for not white fragility, white privilege to me. Mm-hmm. And it was like music to my ears. It wasn't like oh, and I'm not saying I'm not a defensive person because there are times where I get defensive. But I was like, that's so helpful. I get it. That explains it. Yes, white privilege. Oh my gosh, you know. And then I remember him saying like, as a Christian leader, somebody me at the time I was consider considering myself a Christian leader. Mm-hmm. He said whenever whenever I'm in the room with white Christian men leaders, they always feel the sort of need to have the final say. Hmm. And I was like, oh, not only do I feel that, but I have literally been taught that. I've literally been told by every person since I can remember, since I was five, you need to make sure you frame the conversation. Like, listen, and at the end, give your insight. So you listen and pay attention, and then at the end, it's your job as the leader. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm just trying. I'm like, it doesn't really fit with me. I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying. Die your personality. Yeah, so I would do that. I'd always be like, okay, I'd listen and listen. I'd ask questions. I'm like, this has been really great, everybody. I think what's happened here today, and I would try to yeah. give my take on it. And nobody had ever said, could you actually just leave that to somebody else? <laughs> you know? <laughs> does, it, does it have to be framed by you? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I was just like. That I think those that early stage I was only like that's a big moment for you I feel twenty four like. at that time that's and then like we a went. big hit yeah. hit of reality and then we went and visited John Perkins and I was like okay um I was on the journey yeah and so then on and so after that it was like I'm on the journey and it was really strange at the time to think that like talking about racism in my context was so novel like it is strange that I've been, <laughs> I say this jokingly, but seriously at the same time, like out here on Facebook for almost 15 years. Scott, like, has. Scott is on Facebook doing <laughs> deliberate, thoughtful <laughs> debate conversations in the comments. Section. Whatever it means. What, yeah. For whatever. It's but worth. I mean, I got activated at that time and I just remember like, it was nice to be in a church that supported that. Mm-hmm. Like I could post about racism and people be like, yes, that we, we stand by that. That's true. That's right. Good. Um, it was weird to eventually work at a church where I couldn't be honest about my support of the queer community. Um, but fuck that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> swears are on here. It's, yeah. it's, it mer- it's merited. Um, so here, here's again, a fast track of my journey. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but like now fast forward to, okay, that was when I was 24 and 40 now. So what, 16 years? And I've been I've been talking about racism and reading about racism for a very long time. It's been sort of a central part of like my role as a youth pastor. Um, I I the journey, the sixteen year journey is is this constant, this constant um, realization that it's always worse than I thought. I'm always, and I almost like feel like choked up saying that, like. I, I think I've finally realized the magnitude of it, and then I learn a, a massive new thing, and I'm just like, it's it's, and 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 I'm even aware as we're talking that there's still more. There's I'm I'm going to learn more, mm-hmm. and it's it's going to get even worse the more I keep looking at it. Yeah, and there's part of me that wants to look away, even today after all after all this stuff we've done. But yeah, I, I led I led four mission trips to Mississippi. We did, Macy and I did one last summer um, to talk about reconciliation and racial reconciliation, racism, systemic racism. Um, 
And in the midst of that, you prepare and you read and you talk and you think. Um, but in terms of the, in terms of like the, the way we're approaching this podcast, my journey that started it, and I've been on the journey ever since. And I guess I'm just saying to conclude, it, this can be very short. Mm-hmm. The 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 journey I'm on now is just continuing to be open to learn. Like yeah. It's it's like okay. Let me say. Here's how I'll say it in terms of my journey. Um, not only do you listen to the voices of people of color, but you look to them to take the lead in terms of how you do the work. Yeah. And so yes. we'll exactly get to this. To that. Well, yeah, we'll get to this in a little bit in terms of like the recent protests. But like Nikita Oliver is somebody that I love and follow, and she's an activist here in Seattle. That she's um, the people's mayor of Seattle. She's everybody. the people's mayor. She she ran for mayor and and did not win, but she is essentially <laughs> the people's mayor, and she's amazing. I would guess that she's an Enneagram 8. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would guess that too. <laughs> she posted something about a month or two ago of like her learning to box, and I'm like, not surprising. No, she's... <laughs> she's a lawyer that's learning to box, a social activist, uh, and just, yeah, an amazing, amazing human. Amazing person. Um, and... She she was yelling to the crowd. So 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 there was a there was a protest that started at Cal Anderson Park and mm-hmm. here in Capitol Hill in Seattle, and then peacefully moved to City Hall. And Nikita's essentially in the front live streaming this whole thing. And um, the the entire march slash walk was being led by Native peoples with their drums. And there was like a lot of like stopping and saying like, let's get recentered, keep it peaceful. Um, let's let's follow our our native friends. Let's let them lead the way, and she's sort of leading this. And then she keeps yelling at white people, mm-hmm. and then she posts this on her Facebook, like, "Listen to us. Take your cues from us. Yes, yes. We're telling you what to do. Stay in the back, or come over to the front, or come over to the side. You know, white people with bikes block the police over here with bikes. I mean, she's like, she's like, you listen to us if you want to participate in this. Yes, yeah, hundred percent. So that's this that's the new stage I'm in. Not just like act in terms of activism, but I'm, I'm in that stage theologically. Like, yeah, you did. I feel like James Cone and studying, reading James yeah. Cone for a year was theologically big for you. Absolutely. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Just no. Briefly? Okay. This will be the end of my journey. This I think is, this is going great. <laughs> this is what I'll say about the place I'm in. And, and this only happened, I think I will say in terms of no small thing and curious conversation and psychoanalysis. <laughs> <laughs> Like you learn as you talk, you have to say it out loud, mm-hmm. um, and then and then when you Why say it out loud, yeah, thing. then when you say it out loud, you go, "I don't like that," and I'm embarrassed, and now I got to do some work, mm-hmm. or I don't like how that sounded, or or that sounded great. Yeah, let's, or let's like keep going saying there. that, like, oh, I said that, and I believe that, and mm-hmm. now it's made, saying it out loud has made me think of this thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I was out with a friend recently and I had posted something about Richard Rohr not believing in hell. And this really rattled a friend of mine. So we may not have a theological conversation. So now now we're in the room, realm of theology here. Somebody that like grew up in the church, listened to white pastors, white theologians, white white people, white people, white people, and read like the canon of white theologians. Like we're learning about Martin Luther and John Calvin and and Karl Barth and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and all these C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien and these big white thinkers in white spaces with white people. And we're just like, 
after all these years. And then you realize, like, there's first of all, you want to stand up and scream at this point. Like, people are still writing. <laughs> like, it's like lots of people have written many interesting things since C.S. Lewis. We love C.S. Lewis, and I still do love C.S. Lewis, but it's like, that's all we want to talk about, <laughs> you know? Um, so, so what I said to my friend is like, I've, I've been seeped in whiteness my whole life. Like I've only where I've read so many white theologians Mm -hmm. and, and mostly if I'm doing any research, it's commentaries written by white people. Mm -hmm. So it's just the white perspective all the time. And I do remember listening to this liturgist podcast years ago, and they had Christina Cleveland on, who we've had on twice now. Yeah, go back and listen to yeah. Christina Cleveland. And she ends with this sort of um, parable. And I was like, it was another aha moment. I was like, that's it. That's it. And she talked about um, some black women in their village, like, and I'm not saying it exactly right, but um, like having this f- fire. And they out of the cinders, they pull out these little images that look like the Black Madonna. And she had gone on a pilgrimage to France and studied the Black Madonna. And they put them up around their place to, to give them hope. And a, and a white male Catholic priest comes by in the evening and says, this is not, this is heretical. Like, this is not, there's no such thing as the Black Madonna. And let me teach you right theology. And Christine Cleveland essentially says at the end of this episode, like, we're not looking to you anymore mm-hmm. to tell us how to think theologically. We're looking for theology to come from the marginalized and the oppressed and the ashes. And that's where truth is going to be coming from. That's where God is. Yeah. And I was like, like, we don't, we don't need you to tell you if it's right or wrong. We don't care what you think. We're not asking. Yeah. I was like, ah, that's, it makes Which, that's so James much sense. Baldwin. James yeah. Baldwin is Absolutely. saying, no, this is black liberation theology. I don't, I'm oh, not. James Cohn. Oh my God. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, James Cohn. Mm-hmm. This is Black Liberation Theology, and we're not taking our cues from yeah. white evangelicalism. That's not the truth for us. Yeah, no, I mean, I truth. was brushing up on some James Cohn before I came over tonight. Surprise, surprise. And I, was, in his opener to Black Liberation Theology, he was just writing, uh, no, it's, it's called uh, um, Theology of the Oppressed. And, uh, yeah, he was just saying these code words that he started to detect of, like, theological tools hmm. he's like these theological tools are white tools you know yeah. that they've developed over the years to essentially silence people like me yeah and just like oh it makes so much sense when you hear somebody say it and, and of course then i feel stupid because like he's been saying it for a very long time and i never encountered him uh nobody nobody had me read him i'm like is that isn't that interesting you have a master's of divinity and, yeah, and a theology degree and never, never read, read james Cone. and you're the one that told me to read him <laughs> <laughs> um so, so here, here's my, fi- here's the finale of my journey. This is where I, this, is, is this it? is the metaphor that I came up with that I, I liked, and I'm not patting myself on the back. I just think it makes sense. Is we've erected this giant structure of white theology, um, and I said I'm in the process of dismantling that. I want to start from the I'm ground zero. Like let's let's scrap it and start from the beginning. And so it's very strange to be put in this position where like I do have a a, a I do have a, a group of people around me who have invested in me as a Christian leader and they want me to continue to play that role. Mm-hmm. And I say to a certain extent, like my role is actually taking cues from people like Christina. So like Christina Cleveland, Dr. Christina Cleveland or Ashan for that matter, um, or Tally for that matter. Um, and saying we're rebuilding mm-hmm. and, and I'm, I'm looking to them to tell me where to put the bricks. Yeah. I'm here at the site ready to build, but I'm not leading. Yeah. You know, I'm helping. 
and they tell me. And Christina says, put it there, you know? And I go, okay. Cool. Yep. That's where it goes. Cool. <laughs> That's That's, it goes. That looks great. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know if it did much for my friend, but it, it did something for me. I, was I like, think that's helpful. This is the this is the place I'm at right now. Um, that's my journey. I I got kind of emotional. Thank you for sharing there. your journey. Yeah. Okay. Should I do mine or should we do it when we come back? When we come back. When we come back, I'll when we back, come back, we're gonna get Macy's journey, everybody. Here we go. <laughs> Imagine smoking weed in the street without cops harassing. Imagine going to court with no trial. Lifestyle cruising blue behind the waters. No welfare supporters. More conscious of the way we raise our daughters. Days are shorter. Nights are colder. Feeling like life is over. These snakes strike like a cobra. The world's hot. My son got knocked. Evidently, it's elementary. They want us all gone eventually. Trooping out of state for a plate. Knowledge. If coke was cooked without the garbage, we'd all have the top dollars. Imagine everybody flashing. Fashion designer clothes. Lacing your click up with diamond rolls. Your people's holding dough. No parole. No rubbers. Going raw. Imagine law with no undercovers. Just some thoughts for the mind. I take a glimpse into time. Watch the blimp read. The world is mine. If I Imagine that. I free all my sons. I love them, love them, baby. Black diamonds We are back, and we are going to hear Macy's journey, everybody. It's my journey time. I got a little nervous, but <laughs> here I am. I think it's good to be honest about it. Okay, so my journey, I guess, will also socially, economically locate myself Ooh. as we begin. Um, I grew up in California. Um... I grew up in a neighborhood, so I didn't grow up quite like evangelical Christian, like Scott's energy, but I definitely grew up surrounded by like aggressive whiteness, I would say. <laughs> um, I grew up in a a neighborhood that was called Gold River that was like essentially this like, we were a part of a city called Rancho Cordova, which is like quite a diverse city, but Gold River is like, this pocket of suburbia that is like you go into and all of a sudden all the houses look the same and all of a sudden all the grass is manicured and you have one single school where everybody can go and there's trails between houses. And so I grew up in wow, what, trails, trails between houses. What people like by the time I reached high school, it was like it was like everybody knew Gold River was growing up in quote unquote a bubble hmm. that was like always a phrase I heard. I knew I grew up in the Gold River bubble. Hmm. And that literally is pretty much what it was. It was like this shield of protection protecting these middle class white folks. Wow. Maintaining their lives. Um so so People I are coming in and, and trimming the grass and cleaning the houses and Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just picturing it. Yeah. And so I grew up there, I also grew up in like a kind of fascinating household in mm. that um, both my parents had previous marriages. So I had siblings from both sides. Um, both my parents are white. My siblings, two of them, are half Hawaiian Japanese. Mm. So they, I grew up being like the really white sibling to like very tan like racially ambiguous siblings, basically. Yes. Um, I've never heard you say it that way, but yes. So that was always complicated too. Like mm -hmm. I don't, I never look like my siblings. Mm -hmm. um, and I was at a young age, probably because of that, very aware of that difference in skin color. Yeah. Um, so that was my like upbringing. And because of that, um, I, 
I don't know if I would say like I was told racism was over that much, but I didn't think it was. <laughs> That's like interesting. A thing. Like a hashtag or something. I think I definitely was aware that it yeah. was like once we left Gold River, it was like I felt scared mm. and I was felt ashamed of that, but also couldn't deny that. Um, and I def- ashamed of Gold River. No, well, probably a little bit once I got older, but ashamed of feeling scared. Mm. Um, mm. Yes. Which, that's another thing. Um, but, so, growing up, I then went to a really white high school. It was, you know, honestly, like, very white. And mm. I knew that. I mm. was like, this is very obviously white. But I also was like, I don't, I mean didn't have or didn't really understand that to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my upbringing. Um, I think part of this, and I'll probably talk a bit about this, like, well, no, not now. <laughs> so I then went to college. Here we go. And here we go. I moved to Seattle. <laughs> Everyone's afraid Maisie's going to go and become this progressive person when they move to Seattle. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, so I go to Seattle. Um, went to the same college as Scott. Really white college. Mm-hmm. Um, evangelical Christian. Oh, at this point, I'm now seeped in evangelical Christianity because I've subjected myself It is to interesting. It. Every time we go back and revisit this season, it <laughs> is even... It is strange that you ended up at SPU, all things considered. I know. You know? What do you mean? I don't know. It seems like you'd end up uh, like UC Berkeley or something. You know? Don't and... say that. <laughs> it's the one college that I I wanted to get. Really? I didn't even know that. <laughs> I wanted to go to Berkeley so bad and did not get in and then was very upset about okay. it. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. That's really funny. That's um, the first college that came to mind when I think of you. It was like the only college that I, the only college in California I considered. Mm. And like, it was like, I was like, I'm going to go to a Christian college unless I get into Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And it was like, didn't get into freaking Berkeley. Mm-hmm. But I got into other UCs, but not Berkeley. I was yeah. really mad about <laughs> it and like disappointed in myself. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> moving on. Detour. Um, I'm glad I didn't. Um, I went to SPU. Um, okay, and so in 2014, 2013, I don't know the year, someone said, Macy, you should take Intro to Reconciliation. Neenhouse is teaching it. You'll probably really like it. Mm-hmm. And I literally was like, I don't even know what the word reconciliation means. But <laughs> someone's telling me I should take it and I would like it. So sure. <laughs> so I unknowingly walk into this class, not knowing like what I'm getting myself mm-hmm, into mm-hmm. kind of energy. And uh, the first lesson, this is all so... So, okay. Oh, another part of my journey that I have to (laughs) share as a part of it is I, so I I ended up subjecting myself to white evangelical culture because I went to this camp and I got involved in a church and it became my primary. Subjecting myself to white evangelical culture. That's great. (laughs) As a trans lesbian person, Mm -hmm. it is like, (laughs) I look back and I'm like, what the fuck were you doing? (laughs) You got caught up. I got caught up. Um, anyways, so I, because I'm part of this culture, there's a large, um, culture of mission trips at my church and international. Oh no, here we go. Here we go. (laughs) So, so I had for years been going to Malawi, Mm -hmm. Africa 
spending weeks there Mm -hmm. doing different outreaches and working at feeding centers. Um, So, so because of that in my whiteness had a lot of white savior and felt like I like really loved and knew black people because of that, which is crazy. And And I'm embarrassed saying it, but, but that was like, I'm 18 years old and that's kind of how I'm feeling. And so I entered this class on reconciliation and is talked by Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil and Dr. Neen Shout House. Out. Shout out. <laughs> um, Low-key hero of mine. And the first lesson, man, if Enneagram 4 energy by me too in this lesson, uh, it was we spent the whole first class just looking over um, anthropologists' reading mm. of people in Africa mm. and just Dang, sat with that so good. and looked at pictures. And I remember walking away and just like sobbing. I did not know what to do with that. I felt, I felt in a weird way betrayed me. Mm-hmm. That's its own complicated thing mm-hmm. that I felt in that mm-hmm. moment um, and felt like incredibly sad. And then it's a class. So it's like, I have this class go back. three <laughs> times a week. Yeah. Um, and so I sat with that for like a day and felt so uneasy. And then the next day or the next class, this was like probably the most formative moment for me. I We did what was called like a race race, which some people have, may have heard of, but it's like an activity. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's lots of versions of these on YouTube and stuff, right? Right. Yeah, so yeah. we did that and I had never heard of it. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like you're you all line up at the same spot and it's like if you grew up in a two-parent mm-hmm. household step forward mm-hmm. if you never worried about having food on the table step forward um if you've you know never worried about getting a job because of the color of your skin step forward like you just slowly start to do that and our class was primarily white but it did like it became really obvious you know Mm -hmm. as you're doing this exercise like where people are ending up um girls and anyone with melanin in their skin towards the back Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the men are at the front like pretty much at the professor's face um i've I've participated in probably at least 10 of those (laughs) i'm like here i am Um, right in the front (laughs) and like i like we talk about white fragility i like I was that like weeping person in the class mm. who like came mm. back and was like silently weeping because mm. of the exercise. Mm. Um, I can see it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so that was that was kind of like a large introduction, and then it's like I feel so indebted to this program that I ended up being a part of because I, I ended up doing this reconciliation as a minor, um, which included like. 30 credits of Mm. classes. That was Intro to Reconciliation, where we read Divided by Faith, we read New Jim Crow, we read read John Perkins, we read Ta-Nehisi Coates. You know, it was, like, so wonderful that Mm -hmm. I had people telling me to read these people, and it was laid out for me. Like, there's there's an undeniable privilege that I had even in just having an education to lay this out for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So that was, like incredibly formative in my journey, I would say. Like, it it kind of shaped 
the way I then went and encountered and engaged in the world because it was um, like, it was like, if you're going to sign up for this and do this like as a minor and take this seriously, like you're going to be equipped to go into the world and be a person who's trying to fight for justice. Um, so, hmm. so that was like, I would say, I feel like I'm just getting a new appreciation for the fact that that was your minor. What do you mean? Is that true? It was my minor. I mean, I'm getting a new appreciation for it. This is what I mean. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was like, a, I forget that, you, like, I forget that you spent, I don't think that that minor was offered when I was there. So no, it's like, it that's, a, that's pretty significant. Yeah, no, it was incredible. I'm saying the obvious, but like, I'm just getting a new appreciation for it. No, I mean, it was like the rest of college. I was now engaged in this work the whole time. Yeah. And I had, I mean, it was a really cool minor too, because <coughs> there weren't that many people doing it. Mm-hmm. So like my capstone class was nine of us. Oh, that's great. And it was Dr. B and Kanisha. Being our capstone. Jeez. Um, yeah, see, new appreciation. So, so that was that was really cool. Um, no, I mean, it, it was really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, took took some classes from Phantom. Lots of classes from Phantom. Thank you for teaching me so much. Um, <laughs> shout out to these professors who are listening. Also very intimidating. So intimidating, <laughs> but like in the best way, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, so... So that was really important for me. And I, I think for me, so much of that was like, we did a lot of like quote unquote identity work mm-hmm. in that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really special in that like, I had this space that was facilitated by someone like Dr. Brenda who knew completely what she was doing. You know, we began with like, rules about talking about this and like starting with I statements and like making the space really great for us all to learn and grow. And I feel like I learned and grew, grew so much. Um, I feel like forever indebted to that program in a lot of ways. I, I wrote about this in, I don't know if I should say this on the podcast, but your pal applied to grad school. <laughs> you should. <laughs> but, yes, uh, absolutely. But in my, like my CV, they talked about like, you're supposed to kind of like write a paragraph about your college experience and things like that. And I was like in it, I was like, I studied educational ministry, but honestly, that's a crapshoot. I didn't say those words, but I was like, I learned easily the most in my minor of reconciliation. That was where, like, I feel like I got my primary education. Um, So that's part of my journey. Now I'm out of college. Um, I think it was complicated. But let's just say, let's just take a deep breath. Deep breaths. You you are getting emotional talking about that. Okay. Is that true? It is. Do you want to say anything about the emotions? Like what what is what comes up for you with thinking about that? Like I feel like you're feeling gratitude or something. I am feeling gratitude. Um I mean, I don't know. It's this is complicated because it's like talking about like systemic injustice and racism like we're talking about Black Lives Matter and that is the center of this. But like that program and just having conversations around justice and that identity work also like helped me heal and come to terms and acceptance with my own self and like gave me space to be like, I, it's okay that I'm a lesbian, you know? So I think, I think that that's part of it too. Um, 
But yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Um, it's so good. Okay, so um, <laughs> more on my journey. What's what's next? <laughs> um, this topic means a lot to you. And, and I think I think that's that's I, I'm having aha moments left and right listening to you as your friend for a while now who talks to you a lot. I think I think I and we as listeners are discovering a lot about your heart that is really beautiful. You know, a passion for justice. That's nice. Yeah, I do. I do feel like I have that. Um, and I think it's cool to think that, like, perhaps that those reconciliation classes. It. it in certain circles, this is a cliche sentence from Martin Luther King. It's like, it gets used a lot, but I think it's just so good that like injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so justice and intersectionality is an important conversation. And for your sense of queerness to get woken up in that time as well is significant. And we don't need to make it about us or make it about Macy or change the topic necessarily. But I think that's really sweet. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and I think one thing to like add on or say is like one thing that is like helpful maybe for people listening um, to have pot- potentially like more empathy um, as they're understanding the experiences of others is like for me, I do know that like being assigned female at birth, like I can access understanding what it's like to experience microaggressions and access understanding what it's like to have a system that seems to be working against you. So so I do think that like it is so much about getting in touch with your own experiences that helps you to engage with other people wholeheartedly and hear them and be able to listen. Um, so that was that was a large aspect of it. Okay, and so then I graduated college. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I mean, uh, yeah, um, I don't know. It's interesting. Cause I feel like I came out of college and like ended up in like the worst space for a year. Like mm-hmm. obviously we met each other and that's in the, the best. worst space. Um, in, in a really, a really white and a really homophobic space, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. that didn't value my voice. So it was like. And I kind of knew it. And so I it was like, I need to remove myself from this space. Um, and I think it's actually really interesting. Like, I, I don't know. This is interesting talking about our own journeys. Because um, I do actually think that in a lot of ways, like, this was a reconciliation program, but Dr. B was blatant. as like, it's mostly racial reconciliation that we're going to talk about. Um, and... So I think that I did a lot of work around studying racism and then kind of had this season after of kind of because I was starting to be like a lot more honest with myself and other people about my gender, about my sexual orientation, that I think in terms of my own journey, that kind of became the center of a lot of my focus. Mm. Um, And... And that's complicated, and that has its own privilege, but I also just think that's real, and that's a part of it. Absolutely. Um, and so then then I got out of this old, uh, this job I was at, and now I work at 
Hilltop Children's Center. Love Hilltop. I'm back at it, everybody, by the way. This is the first podcast with me back to work. So (laughs) heavy, heavy sigh, big thoughts. Um, (laughs) But part of the reason why I really wanted to work at Hilltop and like someone was like, Macy, you need to work at Hilltop because they're doing the work you'd want to do is that Hilltop is really committed to helping build and implement and talk to and teach anti-bias curriculum Mm -hmm. for early childhood education and hilltop has a really um it's it's a very core essential part of who hilltop is is to be invested in social justice work and to be invested in equal opportunities for people in terms of education um so I feel like in a lot of ways I've been able to learn a lot and learn specifically about working with preschoolers and talking to preschoolers about race and figure like doing the work of diversifying libraries for preschoolers and taking out all of our books with white protagonists and making sure we have books with black and brown protagonists doing all different kinds of things and then having books that are honestly speaking to the injustices of black people and helping families and kids to talk about race because kids are noticing race at age two Mm. and engaging with that Mm. and engaging our whole selves into that work and so that's kind of where I'm at now in a lot of ways is I feel like that is where I'm learning and I feel like that's where in a lot of ways I'm I'm putting my efforts into these conversations is specifically with kids. Um, so, yeah, my journey, I don't know. <laughs> I feel similar to you in terms of like the brick building analogy. Like I can relate in a lot of ways, um, especially like as things have been happening in this week. It's like, I just know that there's like a, a very... Like, I can't undo this mentality of me of, like, I will take the lead of Mm. people of color Mm -hmm. in the midst of this. It's, like, that's a no-brainer to me because I've I've been walked through and had my hand held Mm -hmm. to have that, to to now sit in that and know that that's what my role is. Um, So here I am now. (laughs) There you are. You're here. Here I am now. Um, Still a lot of work to be done. I think... I think for me, something that I've been pretty convicted with is like I I follow and have a lot of people of color and I am engaged in the conversation, but I legit don't have that many friends of color. Mm. Um, and my social circles are mostly white, queer people. Mm. Um, and I exist in a, a really white, queer space. I mm. work at Hilltop, but it's a mostly white school. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking about these things. Um, but I, I am aware that I'm not, I'm not like, there's so much left on my journey and there will be for my whole life Mm. of continuing to learn from, grow and engage in these conversations about race. Yeah. I think that's where we're both ending in our journeys that we're, we're not, we're definitely not ending either of these journeys with like an arrival. It's like a starting point. We're both like wow, all this stuff, the dismantling, the classes, the books, the conversations have led us to be like, we're starting over. We're, there's so, it's wor- worse than, than we thought. And well, not worse, but like, 
And like, I have to be in like realizing that like, A, I'm racist. Mm -hmm. I have been, and I will continue to be racist. I'm racist by the virtue of my white skin. Mm -hmm. And B, I need to be being actively Mm anti-racist all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's like, this is an active thing that needs to be a part of my life day in and day out. Yeah. So that's that's the journey. That's That's where you are. Okay. So good. Okay. When we come back, we're going to pop off. everybody we are back and this is going to be more of like a, a popping off we call this section what next what's happening no this one's what's happening now oh what what next isn't going to happen tonight we're no, going to come but back we will come that. back with some what's happening now what's next okay big emotions in the house right now Ugh, big emotions appropriately um i think our 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 country right now um is waking up again yeah. You know, it's not it's not waking up. It's waking up again. Like, we have to constantly be reminded of this stuff, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so embarrassing to admit that. Um, and, and I hope we don't have to wake up again. Like, whatever those words mean. It's, it's like, for some reason, something can happen, like you said, like with Trayvon Martin. And we wake up, mm-hmm. and then we do certain things that make us feel... I'll talk for myself. Somehow we are able to feel like we're on a forward trajectory now. Now we know, and now we're moving forward. Yeah. And then something reminds us that we haven't moved anywhere. Right. We're still in the same place. Right. You know, so I think that's where we're at. And like it's, there's covert ways where white supremacy is continuing to be maybe even more pervasive. Yeah. And you're like, what the heck? Yeah. And then uh, you get lulled to sleep, you know, and it's like, we have these things in place in our lives where it's like, yeah, I just get on my Netflix at night and I drink and I just numb myself out and I talk to friends and I just act like nothing's going on. And then Mm -hmm. something has to like slap you in the face and be like, it's still going on. Um, so there's this book, uh, there's lots of books we could recommend, but this one's called So You Want to Talk About Race, and it's from a local author here in Seattle, and her name is Ijioma Aluo. Um, and we post a lot about her on our Instagram. But this was another, again, in terms of my journey, and I think this is this can set the tone for this part of the conversation. Um, this was another wake-up call to me. Because I was like, oh, I have racism in me. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an implicit bias test that Harvard put out that a lot of people have taken. We re- I recommend it. I'm sure Macy recommends it. Um, and that was another thing I took in my grad school days where I thought, oh, I'm not racist. And then I took this and essentially shows scientifically that you are more afraid of black faces and black looking bodies. Yeah. And you're like, okay, yeah, I guess I'm in, ra- I guess I'm racist. Yeah. Or racism is inside of me. But I think... W- 
I think as I'm out in the world talking to people, there seems to just be this constant. It's all, now I'm realizing more than ever, it's like a distraction. To talk about, are you racist? Are you not racist? It was that a racist thing to say? Are you racist? It's like, we're all racist. We're all racist. That's like, we're, we're way beyond that. Mm-hmm. That's a nice thing. By simply, by simply watching TV, you've become racist. <laughs> right, By right. simply consuming media, you've become racist. By simply living where you live, you are racist. Yes, and that's just nice to be like, we solved that. Now we don't have to debate that yeah. anymore. Let's debate the bigger things. Um, so she goes, and this is appropriate for our podcast, I think. And I like inviting her voice in the room, so to speak, or summoning her voice in the room or whatever. This chapter is for white people. Of course, non-white people will read it as well, and I hope that this is, this, inf- this is informative to most and perhaps validating to others, but I am aiming this chapter at you, the white person who is afraid of being called a racist, who may well be avoiding further investing in the fight for racial justice because you know that one wrong move may have you labeled as a white supremacist. If you see even a little bit of yourself in this, you need to keep reading. If you are convinced that you are part, if you are convinced that you are past all of that, you should probably still keep reading, because this defensive impulse runs deep, and may make and may take you by surprise. Just when you thought you had gotten past all of your discomfort about race, that's true to me. Just when I just just when I thought I got just past all my discomfort, <laughs> who are you? You are at times kind and mean, generous and selfish, witty. And dull. Sometimes you're all of these things at once. And if you are white, in a white supremacist society, you are a racist. (laughs) If you are a male, in a patriarchy, you are a sexist. (laughs) If you are able-bodied, you are ableist. If you are anything above poverty in a capitalist society, you are classist. You can sometimes be all of these things at once. (laughs) Um. I know that the above is all that some people need to chuck this book out the window. Typical, some might say. Another social justice warrior who thinks all white people are racist. But you've come this far, and I already invested so much in this process, so please consider sitting with your discomfort for a little while longer. That's all. Stop. But, you know, that was another aha moment for me. And I think that's the place we're in now in terms of Black Lives Matter and this episode and the conversation on a broader national level. It's like, let's all collectively just admit we're racist. Mm -hmm. and that that's and first of all we live in a racist society systemic racism exists and we're benefiting from it Mm -hmm. and we need to do what we can to dismantle it yes um let's just let's just have that be the basis of the conversation we're not debating i mean so many people want to say i'm not racist oh that was that might have seemed racist but that doesn't make me racist it's like yes you are you're our racist i'm racist you're racist we're all racist let's move on yeah. Let's start doing the work. Right, because it's it's because it's it's literally like in that denial that this person is accepting racism and accepting white supremacy mm-hmm. at, in their denying of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do we want to? I don't I don't really know exactly in this section like are we going to try and we're not going to try and discuss <laughs> and like explain structural racism. No, I think that can be in the, re- the resources. Right. Because you know? I think like this is more of the conversation. There's too much to be said. You know, yeah. it's like yeah, Scott was recently engaging with a friend who, <laughs> a friend yeah. who seemed to be saying that there were <laughs> no examples of institutionalized oh. racism. And it's like, oh, no, we could sit here and rattle off all of the examples. Hundreds and hundreds like and hundreds of the examples. The prison industrial complex, yeah. representation, redlining. Yeah. Like, it's... 
poor education, lack of resources, like just literally at a fundamental level, the way our country was founded was on the yeah. backs of black bodies. Yeah. It's, we cannot untie ourselves to that. Our entire yeah. system and infrastructure is built on white supremacy. Yeah. Yep. 100%. Done. 100%. Everybody watch Watchmen. That's know, my that's my number one recommendation. And I feel like I now need to. I was listening it's to a podcast and they haunting. recently they recently uh, quoted it, and I was mm-hmm. like, everyone's telling me to watch Watchmen. They reframe this whole thing in a way that's obviously like sort of serial, you know, um, comic book candy, interesting intrigue and great scripts and stuff like that. But like at the same time, I can't think of a of a more profound piece of pop culture that delves right into the heart of American racism. I I can't think of a single thing that does it more effectively. And it's, it's utterly haunting. Maybe we should watch it together. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I I need a rewatch. I mean, my son and I watched it. It was a really cool thing for us to watch together. Jack. Um, Yeah. Watchmen. Uh, Yep. Um, it's the history is so deep. The history is so deep. And the way this is, this is, I'll try to say it this way. The way it started set off a domino effect for, for all of history. Like if it's premised on racism, if it's based on slavery, it's going to, um, it's like a sickness throughout the lineages, you know, well, and that's why I think it was really in profound and important that, like, I talked about this. My reconciliation class started with talking about anthropology reports mm-hmm. because it was, it begins with the way in which people are talking about black bodies as if they're they're subhuman, right? It's so like the supremacy begins with that notion, and it just it that allows for this layered and layered and domino effects of ways in which we as a society continue to devalue black lives yeah yeah as a result because yeah. from the beginning there was this scientific i'm doing quotes there everybody yeah. <laughs> um scientific people saying that white bodies were superior superior yeah. and the the superior race yeah yep. so it's we cannot untie ourselves from that. Yeah, some people have a hard time seeing how that could get passed down even on a like a subconscious level, you know? Like you just inherit that sense, but then just the energy in your household growing up. Yeah. If if you know that gets passed down. Yes. You know, it it's does. not just the actual physical not physical like systemic privileges of like property and wealth. And education. Though that is a factor. Yeah, but it's also the posture. It's mm-hmm. like, and we deserve this, and I'm telling my kids we deserve this, and, you know, they don't because they're not worthy, and, you know, we're Well, and it's, it's like the posturing you were told of be the last person to say something in yeah. the room. That's that's just one example of hundreds of things I was told. Yeah. So what's happening now... Um, I it's guess really wild. Yeah, the place we're at personally. So I'll just describe like here in Seattle. I mean, we're in a city. Mm-hmm. It seems like a lot of cities are hotbeds for protests right now, but it also seems like I've been seeing lots of videos of other places in Washington where their downtown places are also filled with protesters. Yes, yes. 
Um, people. <laughs> um, I'm an Enneagram five. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I, I just, I'm like, I think this is, this is a fun, an interesting way to engage this. Yeah. My wife is an Enneagram nine. So we're both withdrawn types. And I think we've been behind the eight ball, so to speak, whatever that means when it comes to activism. But my wife is now also the outreach director of our church. So she was coordinating uh, our, our church to go to this protest. Mm-hmm. So there's a protest downtown. And again, this is just another, I guess we're doing double journey, honestly, right now. <laughs> Coming it's, back to my journey. Back to here we are this now. isn't more aha moments. It's like, we're fully on board. I mean, Marissa and I, Macy and I, here in this house, 169, Reuben Matthew, our friends, everybody, we're like, yes, we're racist. Yes, this is a problem. Yes, we want to do what we can. Let's go, you know? Yeah. And um, Black Lives Matter is calling us to take action. Yeah. Put us in, coach. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and yet, even after all these years, I'm still like, yeah, I don't know about a protest. You know, I don't know. I need to really think about it. You know, that's just my, it's my, it's my weird brain. Mm-hmm. It's not even logical. You know, it just kicks into the habit mode of like, maybe the next protest, maybe next time. Mm-hmm. And yet, have you ever gone? No, I went to one when I was in college as like a novelty thing just to see what was going on. Mm-hmm. It was the WTO riots and my friends and I got flashbang bombed and tear gas and it was crazy. It's a crazy story. But that wasn't because I understood what was going on and I wanted to participate. So yeah, my wife was like, we're going, I, I'm leading this thing and we have to go down. Like we're meeting people. There's an obligation, you know, I'm like, okay, well that got me out of the house this time. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be like a, peaceful protest i was promised it would be social distancing and it was going to be all <laughs> organized and i was like oh great and i really did have some sort of it's ridiculous like utopian like image of us all social distancing and walking to the courthouse together or city hall yeah and it was like we got there and my marissa and i got there fairly early and we were supposed to meet a bunch of people from our church but okay so here's what i'm here's what i'm realizing and and, and maybe macy can pop off a little bit on defund the police the police defund the police. So I'm there. And so I guess you need to, you need to see these things firsthand because you can see it on the news and you think, Oh, maybe they're over dramatizing this stuff. So it's like, and again, I'm like already I'm feeling entitled. I'm like, Hey, I'm a white person, you know, like, Hey, I'm a, you know, like what's going on here? You know? So my wife and I are like early to the, the protest, the peaceful protest led by clergy of Seattle and it's like, here we come down Fourth Avenue, and there's this wall of ominous police. Yeah, right their gear. With their riot gear. And you're like, what? I'm like, right over the, right past you guys. I can see where I'm trying to get. Mm-hmm. And there's my friends. And we're here peacefully. There's nothing going on. There's nothing going on. There's yeah. no activity. Yeah. They're, but they have already made it feel scary. Mm-hmm. You already feel like fight or flight. The, the the psychology, the emotions are all already up. Yeah. So we are like kind of scared and rapidly turn around. We're like, we're going to go down fifth. Oh, there's the police again. And then we go try to go down third. Police again. Can't come this way. Well, how are we? Why? Why? There's nothing. There's nothing going on. Why can't I walk through here? Yeah. I have no, no answers to this. <laughs> And I feel, I feel like so naive saying this. And now, now we watch. Now we watch. And I'm still trying to practice social distancing. I got my mask on. And then the crowds just start to amass. Mm-hmm. And now there's no social distancing. Yeah, no. None of, none of this, these protests. But 
the people are pissed that they can't get through. Yeah. Why? Rightfully so. Right. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? And and I just watched this little line of police officers come through for the first time and they come kind of past us and they're like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And they're being very polite and they come back and then they're a little more agitated. They keep just kind of coming back and mm-hmm. and by the end, they're just like full on pushing people out of the way. They're panicked. They're angry. And I'm like, nothing is happening. I want to keep looking. I want to grab one of these guys and be like, nothing's happening. <laughs> nothing's happening. Right next to me is... A, a set of parents with a stroller and a baby and a three-year-old. They're, these are people mm-hmm. here from the city just showing up. Nothing's happening. <laughs> you know, I mean, every once in a while, like, a person would stand up and, like, give a middle finger to the police or something like that. But, like, nobody's doing anything violent. Right. And it was just crazy to watch, like, every step of the way the police were escalating things. I was like, what is going on? I do. It sounds naive, but, like... I do think it's, like... It's not surprising, it, but it's it's almost surprising in just like how bad it is for PR yeah. in terms of the police of how terribly <laughs> they're responding. I know because it's After like all these things. It's like their response to these protests is only fueling it more because they're becoming more militarized. There's more gear. There's more violence. More videos. More videos. It's like. I mean, I everyone is out there probably on, who's listening to this is on social media and seeing these things, but mm-hmm. it's like today I just sat and watched such sad videos of police going to medical tents mm-hmm. and destroying the medical materials and then tear gassing peaceful protesters in Seattle. It's What are you guys doing? Stop it. <laughs> it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. Um, but I do think... I guess we could kind of talk a bit about this. I think that this this movement does feel really powerful in that it's really specific in what people are asking for. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I have, I think has been really wonderful about this is there's been some really, like, really well-proposed demands mm-hmm. that seem really clear mm-hmm. and seem like... Because, you know, in 2014, during Ferguson and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, it was calling for police reform. Mm -hmm. And there were some police reforms made, but it's clear and the stats are showing that that hasn't made a change. And so I mean, as someone who is also like low-key a pacifist, like low-key (laughs) anti-capitalist, Like, doesn't I don't trust the government at all. Um, like, this to me, I'm like, this defund the police, that makes so much sense. And it feels so clear. And it feels like, yes, like, we have to. This, let's get on board with this. The black and brown community is saying that this is what we need to do. This is what is, like, I, I, I'm... I'm amazed and inspired and love the the poignance of this message mm-hmm. and the I don't know there's a part of me that's really hopeful and I'm I also just think there's something really hopeful in this idea of wait like the the imagination it will take mm-hmm. to restructure our society but I feel like people are feeling so empowered to 
make a change at their local level mm-hmm. to have communities accountable to their own community Absolutely. to get people get weapons, get police out of communities that they don't live in and mm-hmm. don't belong in and mm-hmm. don't need to be policing. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I have a lot of thoughts on defund the police, but I just, I don't know, as someone who considers, I think I would maybe consider myself an activist. I don't know. Or, st- or stepping out into that role. Stepping out into that role, I guess. I, I feel really passionate and I feel like weirdly hopeful I feel like there's a lot of momentum and I feel like the fact that people are like schools Mm -hmm. are ending their ties with police and disbanding contracts and that we're looking at police budgets critically and people are being made aware of it is is so amazing. I feel like really ignorant in that I didn't understand police unions until just this last week and I did not understand the power of police unions and the money that's going into that and the decisions that are being made and the protection that is... Yeah. You think something about this line, I think it was Frederick Nietzsche or somebody said, like, religion is the opiate of the people and it's like... Maybe. It seems like today it's like entertainment is the opiate of the people. Like we have so many things to distract us from these topics. Like it's so easy to just be like, I'm, I don't want to think about that. So I'm going to do this. Yeah. And it's like, you really have to search and work hard to find this stuff out. Yeah. And then sometimes somebody just like shoves it in your face and you're like, Oh, (laughs) but it's, it's shocking. Yeah, it is. I also think again, randomly speaking, but like, Again, I think it's helpful sometimes to speak from my own, like, particular areas of marginalization of, like, I'm trans and I'm lesbian and I know so much of the history of policing of Mm -hmm. queer bodies Mm -hmm. and homophobia in the police and that literally Stonewall was a riot where police were going and raiding queer spaces Mm. So I like in my in my heart I've also I don't know I've never been someone who I I don't look I've in my heart when I see a police officer I don't feel safer I do feel more scared. Hmm. And that's also just literally seeing someone with a gun. I'm like, why is there someone with a gun here? Why do we need a gun in this space? Why mm-hmm. do we need guns like (laughs) i also just feel really strongly about that as well so (laughs) So you feel strongly i feel strongly just (laughs) just a little bit um i don't know i just i'm i'm inspired by by these proposals of people and i'm inspired and i'm encouraged and i'm so hopeful of this idea of of reallocating our resources Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and realizing that we as people do have a say in how we budget our cities and that mm-hmm. it does feel like people are starting to use their voice a bit more. And I do feel hopeful that we can make some changes. So right now in the midst of all this protesting, I'm just pleading and praying and signing every petition I can to help us to reallocate our funds. Cause I think we need a, an entire, like this is, this is just the start. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I'm I'm encouraged by it, to say yeah. the least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think questioning things is really good, of course, and to stop and think, 
to stop and think like, let's question the police as an institution. Right. Because I think people want to stop and talk about individuals. That's been the big thing. Right. And that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. And so people want to say, not all police officers are bad. When you say ACAB or something like, well, not all police officers are bastards. It's like, you're missing the broader point. Like, it's this institution. It's this thing that was created how long ago? Mm-hmm. And, and we don't even know about all the levels of the dubious nature of how the police were created and why. Um, right. And it's like, <laughs> we do at least know that particularly, I mean, there's two kind of ways that the police was created in America mm-hmm. in the North and the South, but like the history in the South is particularly as like, like a, what was it's the phrase for it? I don't know. why. I was blanking. saying slave catchers. Yeah. Slave yeah. catchers. It's like, and, and their, their role was less to fight crime and more to fight disorder mm-hmm. and to keep order mm-hmm. and to enforce Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. And, and you got president Trump saying law and order. I'm the president of law and order. Right, which you know. which law and order is code signaling for yeah. segregation. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, yeah. So um, the imagination, you know, it's like you see something, and I'm seeing okay, a bigger number of people through my eyes than I could possibly comprehend showing up to city hall, like blocks and blocks and blocks of people, yeah. and here comes Nikita. And it's, it, it's like, some people understand what I'm saying. It's like, it's like a scene out of Mad Max. It's like they've got this platform with these rigged up speakers and they're, they're passing it up over their heads to the front of City Hall. And it's like, this is so badass. And then you're watching this live stream and, and you can see at least me, a glimmer of what people might mean by defund the police. And what what I mean by this in terms of what I saw is Nikita's up there before she even gets to the mic, live streaming, and and there's a kid that I know that I've been working with for like the last 10 years here in the city. His name is Jarrell. And he gets the microphone, and somebody next to her is like, why is he talking? Like, aren't you supposed to talk? And she keeps going, that's my baby brother. That's my baby brother. Like, let him talk. Mm -hmm. Like... And all I'm saying is, like, it, the whole energy and vibe signified a community that right. has been talking to each other and been taking care of each other. Like, that's my baby brother. I will take care of him. I don't need the police here. Like, you don't even know him. Right. You know, we know each other. We got each other's back. And that's so beautiful. Yeah, I think I agree. And I think that's something that is, like, I think that there's some people who are, like, afraid of this idea of defunding the police. Like, mm-hmm. I think that can be maybe initially, like, scary and probably well, it's scary for the people in power. Exactly. It's definitely scary for white folks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that it's like the message is defund the police and the message is also support our communities. The yeah. message is community organization. The yeah. message is defund our police so we can have more social workers, so we can have better education opportunities, so we can have preschool provided to everyone. The fact that, preschool i mean preschool is so inequitable in the way <laughs> that the money is dispersed and it's like we could be reallocating our funds to serve the people that's mm-hmm. what that's what people are asking for when they're saying abolish the police and defund the police mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think that that message might get missed by people who are too afraid because it sounds too radical 
I, I kind of want to read this post that I posted the other day. Oh, please. Just because I think it was helpful, and I feel like I'm doing a, a medium job articulating, and I could do a better job. <laughs> That's what I've been thinking this whole time. I'm like, man, man Macy's medium. doing a medium, medium job. Medium, medium. <laughs> um, okay. So this post came from Wretched Flowers, who all cite, they give a lot of citing at the end. And it's abolish the pe- police, but how would we stay safe? Mm-hmm. Police mm-hmm. abolition work is not about defu- defunding every department instantly. It's about gradual process of strategically reallocating resources, funding, and responsibility away from police and toward community-based models of safety, support, and prevention. Mm. The people who respond to crises in our community should be the people who are best equipped to deal with those crises. Mm. Rather than strangers armed with guns who very, very likely do not live in the neighborhoods they're patrolling, we want to create spaces for more, more mental health service providers, social workers, victim survivor advocates, religious leaders, neighbors, and friends, all of the people who really make up the fabric of a community to look out for one another. But what about armed bank robbers and murderers and supervillains? Ah! I don't know what a supervillain is. Oh, I mean, that's just like a, a, a trope or a It's like a joke. Like the Joker, <laughs> if, he, if the Joker becomes real, you know. Your painting, um, probably. <laughs> um, crime isn't random. Most of the time, it happens when someone has been unable to meet their basic needs through other means. By shifting money away from the police and towards services that actually meet those needs, we'll be able to get a place where people won't need to rob banks. To really fight crime, we don't need more cops. We need more jobs, more educational opportunities, more art programs, more community centers, more mental health resources, and more of a say in how our own communi- communities function. We are asking cops to do... Oh, I love this quote. This comes from the former police chief um, of Dallas, Mm -hmm. David Brown. We're asking cops to do too much in this country. Every societal failure, we put it off on the cops to solve. Not enough mental health funding? Let the cops handle it. Here in Dallas, we got a loose dog problem? Let's have the cops chase loose dogs. Schools fail? Let's give it to the cops. That's too much to ask. Policing was never meant to solve all those problems. That sounds true, and that's a nice... That's a nice midway, halfway meetup posture, right? It's you know, it's, it's like 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 we're, we you you guys were never meant to do all this anyways. Like, like you don't need all this support and all this funding. Like right, and like why are we right? It's like we're training our police to do. We're training our police not to reach the needs of what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's it's like they're they're missing each other. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, I gestured my fingers. You can't see on the podcast. I thought it was a good gesture. I really, I mean, honestly, <laughs> I, I communicated a lot. So I feel like people might have missed. It was one finger <laughs> above the other. And they're going in opposite directions, <laughs> but they do not touch because they're above <laughs> and below. Okay. But why not fund the police and fund all of these alternatives too? Why is it either or? Hmm. Um, it's not just that the police are ineffective. In many communities, they're actively harmful. The history of policing is a history of violence against the marginalized. And it's bigger than just police brutality. It's about how the prison industrial complex, the drug war, immigration law, and the web of policy, law, and culture that forms our criminal justice system has destroyed millions of lives and torn apart families. Cops don't prevent crime. They cause it through the ongoing violent disruption of our communities. <laughs> and we, we don't have time to talk about the war on drugs and the prison industrial complex. But maybe one time we do like a whole episode on like the prison industrial complex. Well, I think that's the way... 
and we're all kind of winding down now, but that's the that's the approach to this episode is a conversation between you and me. I don't know if we're teaching anybody in this I episode. I agree. I think that that's yeah. kind of part of it. Although here I am kind of reading this. But I'm learning. You know what I'm saying? I feel like I feel like this is the same energy of you and I just sitting and hanging out and you back like, listen to this. Listen and to I this. go, whoa. Because no, I mean, I'm learning as you read that. Um Okay, this all sounds good in theory, but wouldn't it be impossible to do? (laughs) Throughout U.S. history, everyday people have regularly accomplished impossible things, from the abolition of slavery to voting rights. What's really impossible is the idea that the police departments can be reformed against their will to protect and serve communities whom they have always attacked. The police as an institution around the world have existed for less than 200 years, less time than should tell slavery existed in the Americas. Is that the right way to pronounce that word? Chattel. Hmm. See, we need, still have a lot to Chattel? learn. Chattel slavery? Hmm. Honestly, not sure. Abolishing the police doesn't need to be difficult. We can do it in our own cities, $1 at a time, through redirecting budgets to common sense alternative programs. Let's get to work. Which what I, the hell? Yeah. I do think that's that's our next section. And I, we, I mean, deeply encourage you to stick around to that last section of what you can do because it's... The last head... One of the headlines I read recently was that the L.A mayor had already decided to defund the police by like $1.8 million or something like that. I know. I think I saw that and I'm like, and people were saying, well, it's not enough, but also people are saying that's something. It's something. It's like, something. It's a start. It's, it's a start. It's, yeah. And I think that's the thing that we need to keep remembering. And like, mm-hmm. I think we too, as a podcast, like need to commit to this. It's like, this is not just a one-off thing. It's mm-hmm. not sign petitions today. It's sign petitions and make it a commitment. Keep signing petitions. It's, if you're going to donate, Click well, you should say a little thing. bit about that. I mean, like I went to the protest, but you've been out here signing petitions. <laughs> <laughs> I have. So I can't protest everybody and I'm, yeah. it's fine. I'm obviously sad about it, but, um, yeah, like you have, I, Nikita Oliver said this, we, we are referencing. Nikita we love Nikita, Nikita Oliver. Oliver everybody is, give Nikita fall. Fo- we live follow. in Seattle. So yeah. it's like, that's our, this that's is, our, that's our mayor. And this is something too. It's like <laughs> the, wherever the, you live, Get involved at the local level. Yeah. Like, and I think that's something that I'm, I'm even more awakening to is like, it's, it really begins and the work happens in your communities mm-hmm. and it spreads nationwide, but it's like, we have to work in our own communities. But she, she said basically like, we all are going to do different things. You have to find what your part is in mm-hmm. this whole mm-hmm. thing. Um, and so like, I recognize certain areas where am I part, you mm-hmm. know, and I definitely can and will sign any and all petitions for things that I believe in. And I'm, I'm realizing that that's a tangible way that I can do something right now. Um, I also like got a stimulus check from unemployment in last month, even though I wasn't working, made a little bit more money than I normally do. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I will reallocate those funds. It's what needs to happen. And it's like, if you can, you should be right now. Mm-hmm. And find your way to participate. Find what it is. If donating supplies is what you need to do, do that. If talking to your family members is what you need to do, Whoops. do that. I I I feel like my family members are in general like Macy is too, like I have I've been radical in trying to have these conversations <laughs> to the point where they low key roll their eyes at me but <laughs> but I I do think I need to figure out how to navigate those conversations in a different way then because if it's not it's my strategies are probably not working my impassionedness mm-hmm. is is maybe not working right now mm-hmm. so I'm 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 rethinking that it's if you have a podcast that this is part of it is like she's like what's your part and like 
we have a part in this. Like we can speak to white folks about this Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we will. And Mm -hmm. so here we are doing it. Yeah. I mean, should we start wrapping up? Cause we're almost at two hours. Those are some good gestures. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we can start wrapping up. I think that's good to start wrapping up. Cause I think that maybe someday we do have we'd have a fun, playful coming. conversation about our different tactics. I know. I mean, but Scott I and I respond so differently. Complimentary way. Mm-hmm. Like, it, this all requires different tactics. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, and I'm that's and that's the thing. That's the beauty of of people using their gifts. What What are your gifts? How can you show up? Um. Yes, I'm gonna try this, and then we're gonna see. Like maybe we'll just edit it out and end in a different way. But mm-hmm. it's, if it's going well, we'll be like, this is a good ending to this section. Okay. <laughs> um. So I, I was I, I was sent this content today. It's from a person to follow on Instagram, Black and Embodied. Um, and they created this. It said, they, they said, I came up with this content a couple of weeks ago, but thought it would be appropriate to post today, especially considering some of the behaviors and comments that I've seen on social media. It's, uh, she says, I created the concept of the seven circles of whiteness to put a name to some of the people we are experiencing daily. Mm-hmm. So this this is just another one of those things that gives us an aha moment of like trying to locate who we are. I mean, again, this this to me this to me could be a, a great place to end this section because we're coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to to really say like our audience tonight is primarily white people. I mean, no no black person is gonna be listening to this and be like, oh, I never knew that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I won't read all of them because you can see there's a ton of bullet points, but mm-hmm. I'll just give a, a gist. Yes, I would love that. Okay. I think this is a great way to end this session. Okay. <laughs> Circle one is the white terrorist. And this is brutal violence against black bodies, racist and derogatory slurs, white nationalism, white separation, actively targeting black bodies, police brutality, lynch- lynchings, hate crime, alt-right, MAGA, intimidation tactics, Confederate flags, rigid past- patriotism. That's circle one white terrorists. Second one is the post-racial believers. Okay. Talk about racial tolerance. Colorblind. Yeah. Yep. Is this colorblind? Well, I have a black neighbor. Somebody (laughs) says police, uh, uh, policies, those black neighbors. Oh, police is those black neighbors (laughs) using language such as colored to describe black people in the U S bootstrap theory. Folks uses terms like boy to describe grown, grown black men expects black women to be the mammy. Never feel safe around black people. I don't see color, is one of the phrases. Obama fixed it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, believers of the quote-unquote American dream. Constantly downplays black excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, white Eurocentric Christianity values. We are all the same in the eyes of God. Victim blaming. Superiority complex. White women clutching their purse or locking their cars when a black person walks by. So that's circle two, the post-racial believers. Uh, circle three, the... Ab- Maybe. (laughs) Circle three, the oblivious instigators. Cultural appropriation, loves whitewashed black music, fetishizes and sexualizes black men, white tears, fragility, microaggressions, all lives matter, reverse racism, white saviorism, plays devil's advocate and invalidates experiences of racism, social justice issues related to things that center what they are going through. 
have no loyalty to black people and will often sell you out of presented sell you out of presented with I don't know that sentence. If you say if you say it nicer, I might listen. One of their phrases. <laughs> Heard a lot of people say that. Tone policing. All white people aren't bad. Elitism, entitlement, calling the police because they don't feel comfortable. Thinks the biracial children excuse them from racism. I am a good white person, quote unquote. That's the oblivious instigator. Circle four, the needy ally. Focused on getting anti-racism right. The perfectionist. Red, white fragility has not addressed their own. (laughs) (laughs) Quote unquote, I am above other white people. Uh, White distancing to be an exception. Arrival at anti-racism mindset. Bragging on the few times they fought back against racism in order to gain approval. Needing to center themselves in topics about race. Need constant validation and emotional investment from black people. Often has white terrorist family members that they are struggling to change or convince. Co-opting the work of people of color and trying to make it their own. Uh, A.K.A. white women and yoga. (laughs) Can admit to holding privilege but refuses to be held accountable. Race-splaining. Considers the Trump election to be the epitome of when things, quote-unquote, got bad. (laughs) Needs to collect black friends for tokenization. Good, quote-unquote, white ally mentality. Impulsive around racial justice often causes more harm. This could I can I can be some of those bullets. That's when we sure. can we can both for sort sure. of locate some ourselves in some of that. I can. Circle five, the passive aggressive oppressor. White feminist values white research and experience over the lived experiences of black people, divisive and often tries to turn black people and people of color against each other, manipulative, intent versus impact, not paying the not paying for black labor, abuses power to silence and control black women, victimizes self when challenged around topics of race degrades black people who don't agree with them, tokenizes people of color and black people, white narcissism, uh, loves whitewashed people of color and black people, comes across like they quote-unquote get it, expert versus listener-learner mentality, implements respectable politics, does not value building trust and rapport, but expects it from black people, gatekeeper mentality, typically the face for anti-racism in their social circles. Hmm. The passive-aggressive oppressor. I don't relate to that one. I relate no. more to the other one. I know, you'd think... I don't know exactly how the scale is going. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely related for six is the do-gooder. Mm-hmm. We have two left. Gooder in quotes. <laughs> the do-gooder can be invalidating and engage in silver lining talk. Well, at least, and let's look at the positives. Still supports harmful white people in their li- lives to maintain their social status. Listens to certain black people, but still do not center trans and cis black women overcompensating in allyship, speaking on behalf of communities, think, thinking they know what's best for a black person or a community, views blackness as a monolith, may be complacent in issues that cause discomfort, does not challenge institutions and problematic white people. OMG, you are my Oprah or my Michelle Obama. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Uses political correctness in academia terminology, intellectualizes our lived experiences so that is more has more credibility plays up their marginalized identities to excuse their racism, seeks approval and self-advancement. You can always come to me, but does not have the tools to effectively support black people. Hmm. Wants to impose on black time and space. Hmm. That's the do-gooder. And this is the seven, the lifelong student, and I think this is what she would be advocating for. This is the right posture, the lifelong student. Um, Pays for all forms of labor performed by black people. Yes, people. (laughs) Center 
the most marginalized, actively engages in introspection and dismantling racism themselves, addresses racism at every institutional and systemic level, centers learning and research of black people, especially those with the most marginalized, knows that they never arrive, honors black liberation and healing, not imposing on black time, black people need to be in spaces without white people as often as possible, strong understanding of racial trauma and their ancestral, historical, and current impact, deals with white fragility with fellow white people, listens and challenges white saviorism, accountability, and change behavior, understands that reconciliation does not mean that you are allowed back in that person's life, <laughs> uses True. privilege to, to be key makers versus gatekeepers. Hmm. That's a great phrase. Hmm. Constantly unpacking white supremacy and challenging white culture who, without approval, not expecting black people to show up a certain way, hmm. knowing their mere presence is harmful. Mm-hmm. Understanding that they will never fully be trusted by black people and making peace with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. The seven circles yeah, from those black are and embodied. Those yeah. are interesting. Anyways. Important. I think that's important to hear. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we're ending for the night, but we're coming back. And I think we're just saying we're committed to talking and, and trying to be that at the end. Mm-hmm. That's the goal, I guess, for mm-hmm. us in the podcast and as people like that's what we want to be. And we're probably not doing it. And maybe you and I both resonate a lot with the four. Mm-hmm. Cause I did the four. Um, yeah, no, I definitely, of all of, of all of them, I definitely think four. And I do think like in ways like for sure, you know, I'm, we're striving to be more, I don't know, seven, I guess of those the things. lifelong learners, lifelong learners. Um, yeah, I, we're going to come back and we're ending the conversation for tonight, I guess, for the people listening. And we're going to come back with like a list of kind of next steps and resources. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, I guess just stay engaged. I hope that this conversation gives you like a spark to have more conversations with the people around you. Maybe. Yeah. I guess I would say for perhaps, Perhaps and hopefully what we may be modeling tonight is just have the conversation. Mm-hmm. Like be, be sloppy and that's what we're learning is like not not intentionally sloppy. <laughs> right. But but be 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 aware that you will probably say something wrong and, and you live and learn and move on. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's okay. Yeah. Well, maybe it's and, not okay, and but you're and maybe specifically like I think that this last one is saying like recognize that like like black people need spaces like honestly, primarily black spaces and having these conversations, like we specifically, I think wanted to do this just between the two of us, because Mm -hmm. it's like, this is a conversation to be had between white folks with white folks. You know, we don't, we don't need to like, I don't know the word drag is the right word, but it's like, this is our work. Yeah. There have been times in the past where like, well, let's have this person on as a guest and we'll talk to them about it. And it's like, Tonight we can actually just talk about it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Okay. When, cool. we, come when back, we come back, I guess when we, we come back. We won't be here in It'll this evening time, but uh, <laughs> we'll we'll be back to talk about uh, some tangible steps. Okay.
Okay, everybody, we are back uh, with you. It's just the same episode, but for us, it's been a few days. Mm-hmm. It's a and Sunday right before Sunday. we release this. I've got to go home and edit this thing. Okay. You're going to do show notes, so we're, we're working hard. We are. So, so this last little bit, we wanted to just kind of hopefully maybe provide some resources or mm-hmm. like next steps that you might be encouraged to take. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also kind of are saying these to each other almost like these next steps are also for us. An out loud commitment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to again, think of like what I would want to listen to and I don't know how to quite say this, but like if I was listening to some other people that I know on a podcast and they were going to give me some recommendations, I, I would be, I would be like, if if, again, I'm saying if I'm listening to a, a podcast hosted by white people, I'd be like, yeah, I know, I know a lot of the resources. I, I, I might click off, but actually, yeah. I know I'd stick around just in case there was something, a little gem or something that was a new idea. So maybe that will happen. Maybe and maybe I don't want not. To sound condescending. I don't want, like we've got the answers. Uh, no, I we're don't, doing. It. I think it's mostly just thinking through. So like, obviously, social media right now is like has so much resources and so many things to be listening to right now. So I, I do think if you're engaging in that space, you maybe don't need to mm-hmm. listen to this, but mm-hmm. maybe you are engaging in those spaces and you're just listening to this episode. So that's kind of what I have in mind. But, but even as we were making our little list, there were some good reminders for myself. So again, just talking to each other and thinking out loud and making commitments. Yeah. For the long haul. For that's the long the main haul. thing. This and hold us accountable to this, y'all. Yeah. And we'll keep and we'll bringing it up. continue to bring it up. Yeah. We do have in the docket an upcoming idea episode <laughs> of white supremacy and defense mechanisms. Doesn't that sound good? So we're fascinating, fascinated about yeah. what that could look like. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, should I just kind of go through this You have the list. list. I think you say it, and I'll chime in if I feel like I need to. Okay, so the first one we have is protest, and I wrote, mm-hmm. but be safe. So mm-hmm. this one's complicated. It's still COVID times. I think we have to be really mindful of that. So... Everyone has their own situation. So protesting while being a very necessary part of this movement is also maybe not for everyone right now. Right. You could say protest and also march or show up or whatever that is, rally. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so I was saying to Macy this afternoon, I went to a big march in downtown South Seattle and... It was amazing. I, I mean, I can't even... I've never seen anything like it. And most people were saying there that they'd never seen anything like it. And we know this is happening all over the country. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just this relentless, you know, movement that just keeps showing up. And yeah. I think it's speaking a lot. I mean, you know, there's the ri- there's the rioting and loot- looting. And then there's this thing, too, that also just conveys so much. And I just think it's growing. It feels like it just keeps growing. Yeah, and I think that we were talking about this a bit before, recognizing and realizing that history speaks to people boycotting, rioting, Mm -hmm. protesting, rallying for months, Mm -hmm. potentially more than a year. This this change that we're calling for may take Mm -hmm. months of showing up to these things, but I think our encouragement is to keep showing up if it's safe for you. And let me just and to say, keep engaging and showing up in other ways. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I, we said this, I think. I haven't edited this episode yet, so I, I haven't gotten back to listen to what I said. So maybe I already said this, but <laughs> like, I guess it's confirmed today. So this is a double new information confirmation. Like, I think I said this defund the police idea was a brand new idea to me two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. 
And my first impulse was that's going too far. Not in not in like an intellectual way, but in a feeling unsafe way. Because my my first reaction is like, well, then what? I mean, I'm like, that's scary. Yeah. Um, and then of course you start hearing and start. And again, like what we just said, even before we start recording, people have been thinking about this for a long time. So mm-hmm. if you start listening to those people, then you start to wrap your head around it. Mm-hmm. But like this idea of like using that money to fund um, social services and counselors and all sorts of programs in in different communities, but then learning to take care of each other. Mm-hmm. Like, so I went down to that protest two weeks, a week ago, and it, the police escalated everything every step of the way today there were no police and probably triple or quadruple the amount of people and there was no problems yeah no problems and people are taking care of each other so many people along this march were set up in tents with huge smiles giving out free food and water bottles and all the businesses that opened up their stores and said come in and use the bathroom you can do anything you want in this business support black lives matter and then there were white people all over the place blocking off roads and intersections with their bikes. Mostly probably, I think, because of the, like, to block off the police, I think. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, it, everybody was taking care of each other, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and sometimes I almost just feel, and this is, like, just me talking off the top of my head, like, the police almost seem, like, lazy. Not, not the police themselves, but a solution for society. Mm-hmm. It's a very lazy, like... It's a, it's a salt, it's a, it's a cure-all for every problem. Call the police. And it's like, well, so we can just sit and watch TV and not have to worry about each other Mm -hmm. and not have to know each other and take care of each other and not know our communities. Yeah. There's my. (laughs) Snaps, snaps to these thoughts. I think that's great. Okay. I'm going to go continuing down the list. Um, This next one is petitions with an underline. And I also, I guess I want to also, I don't need to write this down. I was going to write it. (laughs) (laughs) Sign petitions. For what? Call your local leaders. Send emails. Yeah. So I think in our show notes, we will have some links to some petitions that Mm -hmm. you can be signing. Um, But be engaged in that way, especially if you can't be out there protesting. This is where you can still use your voice. This is where you can still speak to your specific communities. Mm -hmm. I think something that this whole social awakening is reminding us is we have power when we are engaged Mm -hmm. in our local leadership and engage in what's happening in our own cities. And we can, we can change that. Mm -hmm. So petitions, petitions, call your leaders, send the emails, do it. It doesn't take that long and it can be kind of fun. I've, I've kind of been like committing, like it's fun for the next 45 minutes. I'm just going to find the petitions that I want to sign them that I believe in and let's just do it. Yeah. And it takes all of us, like Mm -hmm. all of us commit. And then I'm saying, and this is us, a personal commitment for us is it's like a lifestyle now. Like, I, I don't know why I feel sad that I even have to say that, but like, you know, oftentimes voting season comes along and I'm like, there, I did my civic duty, voted. Yeah. But I think this is more like, no, we're definitely in this for the long haul. So a lifestyle of signing petitions and calling local leaders, you know? Yeah, I feel like living with Matthew Lauder, my beloved one, <laughs> he has helped me to kind of recognize the necessity of if I want to be someone who is anti-racist and is fighting for communities mm-hmm. then i have to be engaging in polit like you have a, in, you have a reformer in the, the system house. i know i have it and it's it's helpful for me uh-huh. it's helpful to have that so maybe also like find your friends who will help you mm-hmm. in that because you sit in the house and you go i feel mm-hmm. so passionate 
and I feel sad. And I, oh, and Matthew's like, time to sign the petitions. But like, get up, get up, let's do, sign it. You're like, what? Thing. I, but like, I already okay. did something. I did something. I, I felt, felt, I lamented. So <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that yeah. petitions. The next thing is, I wrote the bullet point, redistribute wealth. That's an, that may, that might be a little gem because that's a new one for me like in the last 48 hours. Yeah, so I saw this tweet that really I was mm-hmm. like, yes, snaps to this and it was let's stop, let's replace the word donate with, with redistribute, redistribute. Yeah. because I think that that can help that's really helpful for our mindset of recognizing what we're doing when we are not even giving money, when mm-hmm. we are paying people the money that they deserve. Mm-hmm. It is a redistribution of the wealth and we can participate in doing that. So we also in our show notes will have links to places where you can redistribute your wealth. And those links will include different bailout funds. But then a, there's a specific organization called Black and Pink that I've been, that's what's on my Instagram tag. And they're fighting for queer, trans, people of color lives in the prison industrial complex and they're doing a ton of work there so that's where i'm kind of redistributing most of my wealth i would say Damn. yeah so we encourage you all to to really engage in that aspect of black liberation that is a necessary aspect of black liberation it's not something that you can like sleep on i would say um i also think using that word is really significant because i think it trains us psychologically because donate feels so high and mighty like i've got this money i'm gonna give to you it's like well you're just doing what you should do it's it's it was unfair to begin with yeah and it's like perpetuating also i don't know if this is on there but like it's in the same category like in terms of the ultimate source of redistribution uh don't support amazon (laughs) don't don't use amazon don't don't use amazon stop amazon you know i mean honestly like a trillionaire a trillionaire. Uh, how, how, how is the society even allowed for that? Why is that necessary? Why does anybody need to be even a billionaire, let alone a trillionaire? I know. That's crazy. I know. That could be another question. That's that could be scandalous. another topic. We should do capitalism. Yeah. Could you imagine? Oh, <laughs> it's a topic. Um, okay. So with that, y'all. Okay. I also want to make this disclaimer. There's so many tactics to be anti-racist. A hundred percent recognize that some people... You have to also be very, I'm mindful that everybody has different incomes and economic situations. So Mm -hmm. it's like, Mm -hmm. no, not trying to make people feel guilty, but also just seriously evaluate. Exactly. Pump you up, pump you up. And okay. So to pump you up more, (laughs) if you decide to redistribute some money, then send us your receipts and we will price match up to $400. So no small thing listeners, we're calling on you all to participate in this and we will participate with you and we'll match where you are giving. Mm -hmm. That's our commitment. Bam. Okay. Next thing on the list is read some books, read some books. Maybe we're already going quite a long time on this. So do you want to just say, we'll post them on our show notes. We'll post them on our show notes. There's Um, a lot of great books out there. And if you're a no small thing listener, my hunch is you like to read books. Yeah. So, It, you know, when you when you marinate yourself or and steep yourself, steep steep yourself in a book, it it just inevitably changes you. So, I recommend we have some books to recommend. Mm-hmm. We'll put that on our show notes. Okay. Um, the next one on the list is episodes. If you like No Small Thing as a podcast, we have a few episodes that we 
suggest that you go back and listen to, or if you haven't listened to, that are specifically talking about race. And so those include our episode that was titled James Cone, where we talk with Tally Harrison. Mm-hmm. Um, the episode, we have two episodes with Christina Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And so good. So good. Listen to those episodes. Such a tease. Those are teas. Because I want three more hours each episode with Christina Cleveland. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, our conversation with Ashawn Crawley is amazing. Go give that one a listen. It's like it's like what I'm saying, what I want with Christina Cleveland, which was like a nice three-hour conversation. <laughs> yeah, we got the long yeah. conversation. Um, and then we had a conversation with Dr. John Perkins. So mm-hmm. those episodes are episodes that we suggest you listen to. Also, go follow those people. Mm-hmm. They're great follows on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, next on our list, oh, ooh, this is a fun one. When talking to other white folks yes. out there, this is something that I am recently learned is specifically when you're talking to other white folks about racism and about white supremacy, the focus of the conversation should be on white supremacy mm-hmm. and talking about dismantling that and kind of getting other white folks in touch with their own experiences and experiences of white supremacy because ultimately that is what needs to be cured. That mm-hmm. is that is the disease. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that's what we need to be tackling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something that I've been hearing and learning. If you think and about it's, that. It's honestly, I've had some interesting conversations and I think it's been... I think my conversations have been better as a result. But I think about defense mechanisms. I already know, like, people are barely comfortable with me even bringing up the concept of racism. People get so defensive. Yeah. I'm not racist. And then think about white supremacy. People I know, get and whiteness, really, super, super uh, defensive. Goodness. I know. I know. I think for me, I'm also just having to trust and lean into in these conversations. Like, I'm committing to the long haul with this person, too, mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. like, weirdly enough making giving them a lot of space to process and unlearn and just i i we talked about this really in the episode i feel like i was really really privileged and i'm grateful for my experience of having a lot of people that sat with me to help me unlearn and so i'm like i i want to do that for other folks as yeah best, as best one can i would say for you know we mentioned this in the last episode and i don't even think we really unpacked it about you and i have different approaches yeah and i and i do think another thing that's wise about all of this is that it requires all of the tactics and all of the gifts and all of the styles yeah so no one style is better and let's just support each other as we engage mm-hmm. uh, so i think i i always kind of think the way I think of it is my work, part of my work on this is being the very patient white man out in the world who I wouldn't expect anybody else to have as much patience as me. And I'm not like patting myself on the back, like I'm so patient. But I, I do engage in this with very like long, drawn out, measured conversations <laughs> where I really try to understand the other person's perspective. And it's... Typically, it's sort of energizing for me, but it does get really draining sometimes. Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I would say that's a nice way to consider engaging with other white people. Yeah. Uh, if you also want to be a person that gets fired up and yells and spouts off and lectures, that's good, too. <laughs> <laughs> they all have that's their place. It's another mode. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I will just say, I think my conviction sometimes is that 
I mean, maybe it's different with certain people. And we're talking about the Enneagram is, is there's a time and place for venting. And then there's a time and place for actually making some headway. And Mm -hmm. if you can have the patient conversation, my experience has been white person to white person. That's the, the biggest potential for success in changing someone's mind. I know. I think it's true. I think it's true. I mean, for me, I have to have lots of deep breaths. I have to have my mantras in my mind. <laughs> that, that Recognize is that the other person is you. Recognize that the other person is you. <laughs> understand through the c- compassion or you will misunderstand the times. <laughs> Just like, who, who. And breathing. And That's breathing. the simple thing. It is the simple things. Yeah. Uh, okay. The last thing we had on this list is reach out to your friends of color. This mm-hmm. is a traumatic mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And high emotions, a lot of, I can't even begin to imagine Mm -hmm. um, the weight of all that's happening. So um, I read that somewhere and I think it's really true. I reached out to a few friends and I think it meant a lot. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something we can do. Send them coffee, send them some donuts, do what you can. I think to just show up for people and let them know that you're with them and that like they can find refuge in you. Mm -hmm. So yeah, to, to see what happened with George Floyd and then to see the violence persist throughout these protests. Like, I posted a video of, like, just the insane police tactics in all the different cities. And you're like, I'm I still waking up. I'm like, today. what? I watched that video today <laughs> and did not know what to do with myself. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. So, yeah, I think, first of all, I, in these moments, I'm just, I look back and I think, wow, it's another fresh understanding of the, like uh, the people of color in my life have, have been so patient with me over the years. And then I think this is a time where you can, I don't know, everybody has to speak for themselves, but it often seems uh, cathartic maybe to, to say I'm waking up in a new way. I realize, and I'm sorry if I've participated, like it seems that people that I know have appreciated that. Yeah. So but I also like this idea of just like creatively and whim- whimsically supporting, like sending donuts and other <laughs> gift boxes and stuff. Donuts. <laughs> yeah, I like donuts. that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, y'all. Thanks for sticking around for this conversation. We haven't done show notes in like four or five months. Yeah. So and we're going to do some coming. show notes this We're going to do some show notes. If you're, be if you're there. listening and be like, I no need small to see these com. resources. Yeah. And then click the episode yeah. that says Black Lives Matter. Thanks for listening, everybody. And, and again, uh, often what we say is that you're watching our evolution in real time um so we're inviting you into that and we invite any feedback you might yeah have if there's something we need to be held accountable to please yeah. let us know yeah okay we're here to grow see you next week come gather around people wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone Or the times they are Privatize with your pen And keep your eyes wide The chance won't come again And don't speak too soon For the wheel's still in spin 
And there's no telling who that it's naming Was the loser now will be later to win For the times they are a-changing Come senators, congressmen, please heed the call Don't stand in the doorway, don't lock up the hall For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled The battle outside raging Will soon shake your windows and rattle your walls For the times they are a-changing Mothers and fathers throughout the land And don't criticize what you can't understand Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command Your old road is rapidly aging Please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand For the times they are a-changing The curse it is cast The slow one now Will later be fast As the present now Will later be past The order is rapidly fading And the first one now Will later be last For the times They are a-changing 